Welcome back. You're watching Stockwatch with me, Zinati Kuma. Joining me to take your questions this evening are Jean-Pierre Ferster from Protea Capital Management and Roy Motoni from APSA Asset Management. If you'd like to send those questions to us, please SMS 41392 or email us at stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag stockwatch. Roy, I feel like I might have read the... The company name is it is it Sun is it Sunlam Investments now? Yes, it's Sunlam okay. Investments. Okay, Absa Asset Management yeah. was bought out. Oh yeah. So we are now Sunlam employees. Okay, because I'm like, there's something wrong there. <laughs> Do <laughs> apologize for that. <laughs> um, yeah, let's just start off with how the market performed today. Quite upbeat. Uh, what are you seeing? What are the markets betting on today? Um. Yeah, well, the market was, you remember in the morning, it was very 50-50-ish, very flat. Then it started picking up. Um, I think I think investors are happy about the 25-bip hike rather than a 50-bip hike. But then when you look at the actual stocks that are performing, it's a combination of dual-listed companies that are just listed here by coincidence, um, Rand Hedges, that sort of thing. It's not so much the pure SA in ah. stocks. Um, so, so, so I, I, th I think it's important to make that that distinction. Ah, all right. Let's mm -hmm. just talk about that, JP. Um, quite interesting the outcome from the MPC today, twenty-five basis point hike. Um, because we were kind of expecting uh, consensus was for a fifty basis point hike. Although I think we knew that it would be quite a tight split between the MPC members. Um, and you look at how really the the the, the Saab really just went ahead of the Fed. What, what are you thinking of, the, of, the, of those dynamics and, and maybe what we could see the Fed do next week? Mm, yes, so um, I think all around the world, whether it's the Fed or what our Reserve Bank locally is grappling with, we see high inflation. It's in the economic data. And, um, you know, the, the core role of any central bank is to fight inflation. Sometimes central banks have got a secondary target of uh, looking to enhance employment but that is sort of a derivative from the fact that if you have a strong economy with inflation under control that creates the environment in which companies will employ more people mm. um, it's one of the ingredients i mean some other ingredients are good rule of law uh, good regulations that are understandable and fair um, uh, and and a government that supports business so I think all around the world what we are seeing is that central banks are raising interest rates because they are seeing high inflation. Governments don't always like it because in the short term that puts pressure on economies. Mm -hmm. But it's probably some of the medicine we need in the short term so that we can see inflation peak and roll over, as economists say. And that would mean that the economy actually for the longer term will be in a stronger position versus the alternative of keeping interest rates low and therefore keeping debt financing relatively cheap which will not be good in the face of inflation. It can actually cause what, what one can say is a runaway fire in inflation. Yeah. So that is the type of things that central banks around the world are grappling with.
All right. Um, of course, with those interest rate hikes, um, we also have to look at uh, the how the economy is doing. And we did have U.S. GDP numbers come out for the fourth quarter today. Roy, did that uh, more upbeat number uh, kind of tilt your thinking on the U.S. economic growth and also maybe a soft landing? Well, the thing is, if you... The headline number definitely looks positive. I mean, that was what, 2.8% annualized two point, growth. Nine, yeah. Um, but when you split it up, you'll see that the key drivers of that growth were, first of all, government spending, and then an inventory rebuild. So during the pessimistic times, people, and also when we had the, the issues around supply chain and everything, people didn't order inventory. They ran down their inventories. And now when things started becoming positive, they, they invested in inventory um, because they're confident about the consumer side. The consumer side wasn't that strong. Mm. Um, it was positive, but um, it, it, it looks like it has a slowing momentum. So consumers spent a whole lot more on services, which is reflected in higher, high inflation in rentals and that sort of thing, and also the experience economy, but on goods, not so much. So yes, the likelihood is now that you, you have a chance of seeing um, a soft landing, but a slowdown is a slowdown. Um, and and, and to, to land a ship as big as the US economy on effectively on a dime is, is going to be really difficult. The likelihood that this accelerates because of God knows what, it could be higher oil prices, it could be anything. Um, still remains real. So I think the thing to focus on here is that there is growth, yes. Um, the momentum there is slowing, yes. Um, and now the Fed just has to decide uh, at what point it takes its foot off the, um, off the pressure through interest rates. Mm. There's quite a lot of interest mm. actually today on uh, Aspen. So just going to the viewer mm -hmm. questions. Uh, can you please ask the panel about Aspen? Uh, I'm quite a bit down, but still think it's a good business. Maybe buy more or just hold on. So no talks about selling. JP, buy, hold or sell on Aspen? So if we look in the past year, Aspen has been under quite a bit of pressure. Um, you know, if we, if we take ourselves back to a year, there was a lot of excitement regarding the J&J &J COVID vaccine that mm -hmm. Aspen had the deal with. They're going to produce it locally, finally, we would on African soil have a vaccine manufacturing plant. And seeing that effectively the battle against COVID was won so quickly, we don't need that plant anymore. Now, yeah. the sad thing is that we, we actually would need a plant for whatever might happen in future. Yeah, This won't be the last pandemic, unfortunately. Um, but in the short term, there are no more orders. So the Aspen share price has tracked, I would say, the decreasing excitement regarding that um, they also had some some other headwinds in the other parts of their business and where we are now is that they'll be coming out with an update relatively soon i expect for the period till the end of december their first half and um i think it could be a relatively upbeat uh, uh update and mm. um, the euro has strengthened against the dollar in the last half of last year uh, for the first half of last year the euro was very weak and Aspen has got significant operations in Europe. So I think what we will see is a reasonable operating performance boosted by the currency. And we'll get those details probably in the next few weeks when Aspen gives us an update till the end of December. Yeah. 
I think uh, the last time I had an interview with them uh, when their vaccine wasn't being bought uh, by any governments, um, they, they basically said, you know what, it's not that we're just going to let this plant just stand idle. We're going to actually repurpose it for other things. And I actually think... Uh, I think almost every month, every two months, there, there's an announcement that they're making. I don't know, Roy, do you think that there, uh, there's significant upside or there isn't much significant upside that you could see on Aspen when it comes to, to growth and expansion? So, so historically, the Aspen story has been around big transformational acquisitions. Um, remember when they were buying tailend brands and then applying them to emerging markets and seeing the growth, and then all of that ended. Um, that phase went. Um, they cleaned. They cleaned up their portfolio, and then the big angle became this sterile capacity they had. Um, that's they, they. They made this huge investment, um, and they've got this capacity. Initially, it was supposed to go for for the COVID vaccines, and that seemed to be a very cogent story that was that was going to unfurl and give them a big earnings base but it, it didn't happen exactly the way i mean J, jp jp said it perfectly it, it just didn't happen mm. they now have this deal with the with, with the institute in india which might give them the opportunity to do some things so i think the catalyst or the edge in aspen is what they do with that sterile capacity um they could they could do any number of things that come out of india and uh, sold into Africa. And I think that's what people are speculating on. Maybe there's some news that comes out. Maybe there's a new product. Because they've got the capacity, they've got the expertise, um, and, and, and they've covered the overhead costs. So if they do get a product that comes through, then that goes all the way to the bottom line. And usually these are long-lived contracts. And it's not like the J&J &J thing where they're producing a license. They'll probably be producing under their own name. So I think that's what um, people are thinking. It's sold off aggressively. It's a, a very cheap multiple, but you have this upside in terms of use of that sterile capacity. So it's one well worth, well worth watching, um, and the opportunities do exist. And it's not on a particularly stretched multiple. And there are those, there are those upside um, drivers that, like JP said, like the currency, the fact that this time it's going to be more organic than anything else, that people start thinking that there's less of a downside risk on the stock. Yeah, sold off aggressively. Mm -hmm. um, there's some speculation on some levels, some levers of growth. Of course, not as much excitement as mm -hmm. there was uh, during COVID. So JP, mm -hmm. do you buy more or do you hold? Yeah, you can probably buy a little bit more. Um, it's not one of my best ideas, but if I had to choose between being long and being short at the current price, I'd probably be long Aspen. Yeah, all right. Uh, Roy, buy more or hold? Yeah, um, exactly like JP. I think it's one to look at. It hasn't tried as much as the rest of the market. It's big, it's liquid. There's probably an earnings underpin and the multiple is not demanded. So I think it's one that... Um, you, you you have a bit of a margin of safety, less disappointment risk. So mm -hmm. one you could add on, I would, I would rather be long than short. Ah, all right. So providing mm -hmm. some sort of safety there. Um, mm -hmm. All right. Let's get on to coal. Uh, Tengela, the price dropped today uh, to 210 mm -hmm. while the coal price is still high. What is the reason for the share price dropping by more than 110 in the last three months, JP? Um what is it, mostly Transnet? Yeah, I would say it's two things. It's a relatively simple business. They need to get the coal out of the ground. They need to get the coal to the uh, 
uh, to the um, uh, terminal, at, uh, you know, uh, and they need to sell it at a high price. That's yeah. what it comes down to. And what has happened in the last few months is, firstly, we had the announcement today saying that the Richards Bay Coal Terminal exports for the last half of last year was the lowest since 1993. Yeah. So volumes were shocking for the last half of last year. So they struggled to get the coal uh, to the port. Secondly, the price actually in the last three months has come down quite sharply, the coal price in US dollars. Up until now, the winter in Europe has been relatively warm and Europe has got sufficient stockpiles of coal and of natural gas that um, the, the high price caused by a, 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 um, a, a frenzy of activity in the middle of last year for Europe to buy a lot of coal has subsided. And that means that with a lower coal price and lower volumes, people are saying, if we plug in these variables in our models, we get to a much lower earnings and therefore dividend per share forecast mm. for Tungela. It's still cheap, I believe, yeah. um, but it's not so cheap relative to the coal price and the volumes they might have shipped than what it was a few months ago. Uh, all right. I was talking to uh, an FNB economist earlier on um, about mm -hmm. the growth of South Africa. Of course, the, the, the Achilles heel of the economy uh, remains ESCOM. And she was actually saying that it's, it's quite interesting that it seems that in the growth forecast, we're not really taking uh, investment into renewables as a lever of growth. And I'm just wondering, when it comes to uh, Tungela and the falling share price and just the the demand for coal. The bullishness on Tungela uh, that we had seen recently, are we not underestimating how much investment is actually going and the shift into renewable energy? Oh, no, I, I, I really don't think so. Mm. I, I, th I think JP caught the fundamental case incredibly well. Um, yeah. the, the, the thing about it is for a long time, after, after they were unbundled, coal was dirty and bad. Then suddenly coal became the next big thing. Um, they were managing to get good prices. They didn't need the funding. They had cash. They were paying a big dividend. So it became a big favorite of momentum investors. Mm. Your, your biggest problem is that these investors tend to be a bit skittish. I mean, the, the share price has moved massively. Um, there's lots of people sitting on very high gains. Um, and when you start seeing bad news such as this, the stock could be cheap as it is, but the opportunity to take a profit is always, um, is always there. And remember, the big catalyst here now was about a big dividend coming on the back of really high energy prices because Europe was going to have a bad winter and they would really need coal. Well, the winter is not as bad. Prices aren't as good, mm. um, but the share price has really moved. So I guess some of these people figure... Now, I've made my money. Um, let me see what's happening. Take some money off the table. And I think that's basically what's happened. The, the investment case remains pretty, pre pretty much the same. Good demand for coal internationally, constrained by um, Transnet's inability to deliver. Um, watch for the price. The price won't fall dramatically, but watch for it coming down. And people to take profits. That, that pretty much covers the investment case around together. It's not suddenly become a bad company. Mm. It's just that um, it's it's really moved. It, the share price has really moved. Ah, all right. Uh, well, let's get to mm -hmm. another miner, diversified miner at that. Uh, what do you think of Glencore as a long-term investment? Glencore has been involved in a share buyback. What would be a reasonable entry level? Um, JP, Glencore? Hmm. 
Glencore's got a very interesting basket of minerals and uh, and ore that it uh, extracts and makes money from. And if you go back in the last year, the vast majority of the profits have been driven by their coal operations. Now, we've just spoken about coal, and that is dipping now. But the interesting thing is just as coal is dipping, something like copper, for instance, is all of a sudden looking much stronger, especially post the Chinese lockdowns ending. Yeah. All of a sudden, a lot of industrial metals that are used in construction, like uh, copper and like iron ore that goes into steel manufacturing, have, uh, have really bounced very hard the last few weeks. And that means that in the Glencore portfolio, you might have for 2023 lesser of a contribution from coal, but a greater contribution from copper. Now, between the swings and roundabouts, it could mean that the earnings from Glencore doesn't really grow much uh, from 2022 to 2023. Um, it is cheap on current spot multiples, so it does look quite attractive even at the current price. But the, the lesson that I've learned with commodities before, and this is now going back, you know, the last 15 years of my career, is how cyclical they are. And the moment you see mining companies trading at single-digit multiples and things look so cheap when you plug in spot commodity prices, it's normally near the end of the party. Now, the current party, the coal party, might be coming to an end. The copper party seems like it wants to go for a, an, another round uh, before they, they, they call it. Um, but at some point in time, you would say that the development of China being led by commodities, I mean, so hungry for commodities, hmm. could be coming to an end. It's an open question if India will take over the baton from China, but I'm not a long-term bull from commodity companies, seeing that there's still a lot of these commodities on the surface, surface or just below the surface of our wonderful planet. And therefore, in the short term, Glencore might look decent at the current price, but for the long term, I'm not a Glencore bull. Uh, Roy, are you or is there uh, another diversified miner that you would prefer at current prices? <laughs> So, so the, the, the combination of, co of commodities is actually quite attractive. Um, like JP said, so coal, we know the story. Um, copper is very interesting from a just transition perspective, um, electric vehicles, and, and also just broader industrialization. It's a fantastic indicator of all of that. So remember, Glencore came from a place where it was associated with a lot of um, non-kosher ESG-related things. And they've cleaned that up. So a lot of people who wouldn't look at it historically have started looking at it, plus this attractive combination of commodities, um, plus the point in the cycle that we're in. So right now, the problem isn't so much demand. It's that there's insufficient supply of a lot of these commodities. So this cycle could go on for a period of time. It could go on for longer than we expect. Over the long term, the problems with commodities are exactly as JP says. What we cannot afford to forget is that these stocks are cyclical and, they, and, and the cycle comes to an end in a rush. The advantage we have now is that we don't have excessive gearing, so, so you don't have the bankruptcies that you'd see when typically when the cycle turns. But yeah, you need to be careful. Um, we, we've been in a cycle for some time. It probably still has legs to go. Um, the place to hide is definitely in these um, diversified, mm. diversified miners because different commodities will drive them at different times. But um, yeah, it's not forever. It's definitely not forever. Mm. Uh, JP, mm. you are talking about, of course, uh, the reopening of China. And there's a question here. What are the prospects of NASPERS and process shares going a further 10 to 20% up? JP. 
Hmm. I would say uh, there are reasonable prospects for that. They're already up 70-80% from their lows over the last three mm -hmm. months, but um, there's no reason it can't continue. If you, if you think about how fundamental the fact that China reopened has been, um, and the fact that people have got a bit more comfort that Xi Jinping is not trying to kill the golden tech geese that are lying these eggs, mm -hmm. it could mean that the whole tech sector in China for quite a while has not only got much more positive sentiment towards it from investors, but that from an operational perspective, having uh, gaming approvals again and being allowed to, uh, to, to take over other companies again and do deals is very positive for the fundamental value of these companies. And if you have a combination of the sentiment turning positive and the fundamentals turning positive at the same time, you can get a wonderful result. And 70 to 80% is a great result, but it could be a wonderful result, which means, yes, it could be a little bit more to go still. Yeah, all right. Um, before we go to your stock picks, uh, there's a question here. What is the panel's view on Barla World? Uh, Roy, uh, do you have mm -hmm. a view? Of course, the biggest thing recently was <laughs> the um, separate listing of Zida, oh, Avis. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Barnwell's gone through significant transformation. I think um, Dominic Sawella there has got a very clear vision about where he wants his business to go. He's gotten rid of capital intensive, the capital intensive businesses such as and the cyclical businesses such as the auto, car rental, fleet leasing. He brought in the he brought in the other business, the the grain. Sorry, the the, the starch business. Yeah. In. Um, and then. I think more importantly, he started paying down capital, starting to pay back capital to investors, um, just showing that he's got a very clear returns focus, a very clear capital discipline, and he's not just going to hoard capital for the sake of it. So I think Balwald's done, I mean, he's done incredibly well. Um, the stock had sold off at the time when Zida was unbundled, and it started recovering now. It's a big beneficiary to, from what's happening in mining, that's for sure. Um, and, and I think as well, food inflation seems to it seems to help them on the on the starch side. So they're in a sweet spot. It's 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 a business to watch, yeah. um, without a doubt. I mean, the clear cloud there is what's happening in Russia, and whether that Russian business will ever get valued at its real at at, at, at its real level, and if actually they'll be able to sell cat equipment in Russia specifically. So we wait for the results. Um, they've got a September year, and so sometime in May we should hear what they're doing. Um, but, but yeah, I think from a fundamental perspective, doing relatively well yeah. in management, doing the right things. All right. Uh, well, we have run out of time. I see that there's a mm -hmm. question that has come in, but uh, I am back on Stockwatch tomorrow at uh, 1 p.m. <laughs> live, and it also does get uploaded on YouTube. So I will be carrying over some of those questions. I know that some of them also mm -hmm. come out uh, after Stockwatch. So I will be answering those questions tomorrow. So be sure to stay tuned. Um, let's get to your stock fix, gentlemen. JP, what will it be? I'm picking an offshore stock. We are now busy with the fourth quarter results season in the U.S. So I've got results coming out of my ears that I'm busy <laughs> working through this week. And uh, one of the companies that hasn't reported yet, but I like it, is PoolCorp. Now, PoolCorp is the biggest swimming pool supplies distributor in the world. Uh, they, so if you think about your chlorine and your chemicals and your creepy crawly and all those types of things, they distribute that to pool shops to then on-sell to retail, uh, retail users. And um, they did extremely well in COVID because people were at home. They didn't want a green pool. They wanted to swim. So they spent money to get their pools in order. 
And then after that, there was a lull in activity because maybe people bought too much chlorine. I think a lot of that is now normalized. So going forward, I think Pool Corp is reasonably valued with a strong growth profile. And uh, and I like the stock listed in the U.S. under the code P-O-O-L. All right. Well, uh, Roy, what will it be today? To be Pan-Africa Gold. Um, Pan-Africa Resources, which is a gold miner listed on the JSE and in London, Two basic things. Um, first of all, they're growing production during this time when the gold price is moving because we all see inflation and inflation. We're really struggling to get away from the inflationary environment. They've got a good combination of um, underground assets and also reclamation on surface assets um, and very cash generative as well. So I think this is one This is one um, investors should look at. The, operationally, they've been sound. Management have had a very solid strategy. Um, and at, at a time when inflation is, is with us as much as it is right now, gold isn't a bad place to hide. All right. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen, for your analysis today. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess Jean-Pierre Ferster from Protea Capital Management and Roy Mutoni from Sunlam Investments. Stockwatch is back uh, tomorrow, actually, uh, at 1 p.m. live. But do join me uh, for your top news story straight after this. Thank you.